This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity May. It's a podcast where we will help you learn to invest in 20 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? Very good, Bryce. How are you? Good, mate. Good. Ready to crack into something that we haven't done on this show before. It's a brand new segment. We introduced it midway through last month and because it's the first episode of of november it is time to do book club (laughs) yeah (laughs) we need we need like a jingle or something here we do we'll get one of our mates to whip one up (laughs) yeah 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 well you did you did half a percussion degree maybe you can uh i can do half a tune yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so as we sort of discussed maybe three or four episodes ago First episode of every month, we are going to do a quick review on the book that we have finished reading for the previous month. And for the month of October, I firstly hope that some of our listeners joined along and read it with us. We read Michael Lewis's book, Liar's Poker. Uh, he, he was the author of The Big Short, which is now a really good movie and well worth watching. Um, and Ren, this was one of your picks. And it's all about life on Wall Street as a bond trader and got to say it was pretty entertaining yeah yeah i mean michael lewis's books generally are he also wrote moneyball if people have seen the brad pitt uh jonah hill movie i'm pretty sure they started it <laughs> um anyway <laughs> so the, yeah look uh, before we get into the book i think it's probably important to reiterate why we're doing this you know reading is for us we found it so valuable and all of the people that we interview through this podcast just say the same thing over and over again, that the reading um, both books and investor letters and stuff like that has just been of exponential value to them. And we wanted to create a create a, this book club to help our listeners come on that journey, to recommend some books um, and sort of create a communal feel around it. So we're going to be reading them every month. We hope that you join us and we hope that you benefit from them. And if you have any suggestions for books, we're definitely all ears. Um, but we're yeah, all eyes. We're all eyes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, 
Liar's Poker. Yes. Um, I thought poker is, isn't that tautology? Like, po- poker is part, part of that is lying anyway. There's no, no such, no such thing as honesty poker. Honest poker. What a boring yeah. game that would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's start when Ren addressing Liar's Poker. What is Liar's Poker? So, it's a, it's a game that these traders would play. And if any, if any of our listeners have played Perudo with dice, it's a, it's a similar game to that. But essentially what you do is you pull a note out and every note has a serial code on it, a string of numbers. So, you have nine numbers on an Australian note and everyone else has the same nine numbers. You need to guess out of that total uh, how many there are. You start your bid, um, and then everyone has to one-up you. So they either have to say, there's more of that number, or there's X amount of a higher number. So you've got to keep one-upping each other, and then eventually someone will call bullshit, and then you'll see how many there are. All right, so everyone gets what, what it is now, hopefully, from Ren's explanation. So oh, I, I don't <laughs> even think I get what it is from that explanation. <laughs> But um, if, if you want to understand it and uh, play it and become a bond trader, uh, just Google Perudo or Liars Poker or, or read the book even. That, that's probably what we should recommend. Yeah. <laughs> Join the book club and read the book. Oh, God. So do you want to give it a crack, Ren? Well, uh, the more I think about it, the more I think it's just not going to translate over audio. Okay. Um, should we try? No. Oh, maybe. Yeah, go on, go on. Give it a crack. All right, all right. I'll You've got start, a $10 I'll note. Start. I've got a $10 note. We've yeah, both got... So, I've so only got eight digits on mine, though. Okay, so you've got eight digits. I've got nine. No idea how that works. That 17 is on the table. Yeah. Yep, all right. I'm going to say there is uh, six fives. Six fives? I'm going to say liar's poker. Oh, no. <laughs> That's I don't have, kind of a, I don't have don't any have fives. Any, oh, no. I only one. <laughs> oh, whoa. Ballsy move from you. Anyway, so that's how it's played. So I would have taken Renner's $10 note there and yeah, we would yeah, have played yeah. on again. So <laughs> Let's get back to the book. <laughs> yes. It starts with the the head of this bond trading. Well, it's about this bond trading firm, Solomon Brothers. The, it starts with the head of the firm challenging uh, one of the head traders to a one game, million dollar game of Liars Poker. And the head trader says, sure, but it's got to be 10 million. And the uh, the head of the firm backs down. And yeah. that, so- that sort of gives an insight into the, uh, the testosterone-fueled trading floor that was Salomon Brothers in the 80s. Absolutely. Yeah. So, why, why did they write the book? Why did he write the book? I think... Well, he sums it up in the end pretty nicely. You know, he goes on to talk about how, despite all the fact that, he, you know, there was all this money to be made. So he was a graduate uh, at the time that this book was written. And, and when he finished and left the company, I think he'd been there for two years and was one of the highest paid employees for how far he had been into the company. He made a you know a bonus of a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Uh, but he said that uh, despite all the the testosterone and the money-making and the fun and the partying and all that sort of stuff, at the end of the day, it just wasn't uh, meaningful for him and and it wasn't his sort of direction in life. And I guess the whole book sort of leads up to that point and really outlines 
what it was, what life was like on Wall Street as a bond trader. Uh, and there's some pretty interesting and sort of exaggerated examples in there of, of what it was like, um, which I found really interesting. Why do you think he wrote the book? Oh, I think to tell to tell the story of Solomon Brothers is probably to tell the story of Wall Street in the 1980s. And given that he lived through it, it's um, he had a pretty interesting perspective. Mm. So for background, if people haven't heard of Solomon Brothers, they were a bond trading firm, an investment bank on Wall Street. And in the 1980s, the, um, they essentially invented the mortgage bond. Um, I mean, mor- mortgage bonds existed before, but they weren't big until the 80s. And this one trader, Louis Ranieri, who, if you've seen the big short uh, features in the start of it, he created this mortgage bond trading unit, convinced all these banks, especially like little savings and loans banks in America, to trade to the point where um, in 1984, this is from the book, in 1984, Ranieri could argue plausibly that his mortgage bond department made more money than the rest of Wall Street combined. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So, so they were just raking it in. And, and the numbers were, so in 1977, uh, American savings and loans banks uh, held about $12 billion in mortgage bonds. By 1986, that was up to $150 billion. So more than 10x increase in mortgage bonds being held by these banks. Um, and that just shows the, the growth of the industry. And Michael Lewis had a front row seat to a lot of it. Yeah. Very interesting. So talking of Solomon Brothers, they did eventually decline and fall apart, which we'll probably get to. But one thing I found interesting where you said, you know, it probably sums up Wall Street. Something that did differentiate them from Wall Street was, and this is from the book, Solomon Brothers was the only major firm in Wall Street in the early 80s with no system for allocating costs. As unbelievable as it seems, there was no measure taken for the bottom line and people were judged on the sum total of the revenues on their trading books, irrespective of what cost it would generate so or it generated to, to get that revenue. So I found that pretty interesting, the very loose management style that eventually ended up to to being their de- detriment, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It all did fall apart. So the book the book finishes in what, like 1988, 1989. Solomon is not doing as well. They they had a massive purge where they just gutted their a lot of their traders and they, yeah, they just cut a lot of their staff. Uh, what we don't read in the book is after that, in I think like the early 90s, they got done for uh, rigging treasury bond auctions. And there are basically rules around how much you can subscribe to the auction because say if you, if you control 90% of the treasury bond auction, then you can uh, manipulate the price. Uh, and so Treasury put rules in. Salomon were breaking those rules to have more of the auction to be able to like squeeze out the shorts and stuff like that. They got caught. Uh, a couple of people went to jail. The head of the bank got fired. And um, actually, Warren Buffett was brought in to uh, right the ship. And uh, that was a whole saga in his life. And then eventually Solomon sort of faded into the background and got bought out by another company and then got bought out by Citigroup. So didn't collapse, but 
never got back to their high-flying mid-1980s ways. No. Nah. Dead as a doorknob. So, Ren, yeah. I guess to summarize for me, I've got, I have three points that I, I took away from it from a learning perspective. One is when a lot of people are after the same commodity, it largely becomes overvalued. That was straight from the book. Uh, yep. Two, rumors move markets. So it's important to separate the noise. And three, there is no master of the markets. Do you have any learnings before I go on to my final one, which is to see if you pass <laughs> the investment banking quiz? <laughs> oh, I'm nervous about this. I guess one, I have one uh, person that I found really interesting and then one big learning. Um, okay. So... John Merriweather is, uh, he's one of the key traders in this book. He's actually the person that gets challenged to the game of Liars Poker at the start of the book. Yeah. The name probably isn't familiar to a lot of people, but he, he was a really influential sort of quant trader in the 80s and started a quant trading unit at Solomon that made a lot of their money, after, especially after the mortgage bond department sort of fell apart. But then if anyone has heard of long-term capital management, John Merriweather left Solomon to go and start long-term capital management after this whole uh, treasury auctions scandal. And then long-term capital management also almost brought down the entire financial system in the 90s. So he's a fascinating character and someone that uh, I would suggest reading about. He, he's had an interesting career to say the least. But anyway, so yeah, I found him really interesting. I would love to interview him on Equity Mates, but I think we'd have to get a a little bit bigger first. Yes. (laughs) And then my my key takeaway was just when you read this book and you visualize this trading floor, all of their incentives are so short term. Their positions are held for days, if not minutes. They are churning through their book and they have just good information flow they have a lot of capital behind them and when you read that and you think about how you're on the other side of some of these trades you're not going to beat them in the short term but because their incentives are all so short term there's not a lot of long-term thinking in how they position themselves and how they try and you know buy things that will compound over a long period of time so i think it just reinforced to me that the one advantage that we have over these massive institutions is we're not subject to the same short-term performance pressures that they are. We don't have to report quarterly. We don't even have to report annually. So we do. that is the one advantage that we have over them, and that's not going away. And I think you need to take full advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. It was pretty grotesque in some parts, where they, especially when they were talking about junk bonds and forcing these bonds on customers who would pay just so they can either get it off their books knowing full well that it's a, a, a piece of junk and so that they can pocket a couple of million in commission. For you know, it was it was not great to see in some in some aspects. But Ren, so yes. <laughs> right at right at the start of the book, as I said, Michael was a graduate at the time. He started in their internship program and and their what seemed like a pretty intense period of training and he was talking about the interview process to become an investment banker. And I found this very interesting comparing it to what you have to go through now to become an investment banker. So I'll just read from the book. Uh, although, Although I wasn't ready to be an investment banker, I was in a funny way prepared for my interview. I had memorized these few facts widely 
accepted by Princeton undergraduates to be part of an investment banking interview survival kit. Investment banking applications were expected to be cultural. You were expected to be culturally literate. For example, in 1982, at least, they had to be able to define the following terms. Ren, <laughs> will, will you pass an investment banking? <laughs> oh, no, in, no. <laughs> ready? Hard yep, work. Yep. Hard work. <laughs> Stock. Bond. Private placement and partnership. Could you define? Am I actually just defining them? Well, I mean, could you define all of those without fail? Uh, hard hard uh, work, stock, bond, private placement. Partnership. Um, yeah, the only one that's maybe subjective is hard work. Like, how do you define it? But True. Yeah, yeah I, could, I could define the others. Yeah, so, I mean, what a stitch-up. Imagine if it was that easy these days to uh, waltz into a to Macquarie <laughs> Bank or, or, you know, Goldman Sachs and all you had to do was uh, sit down and define hard work, stock, bond, private placement and partnership. I mean, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought you were actually... I thought this was going to be a hard test. I was jing up for... <laughs> <laughs> I know, I scared you there a bit, but no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. No, well, Bring back well, the yeah, 80s. They, they were saying that... um. The, like Lewis Ranieri's mortgage trading department, you know, like none of them were sort of university educated, at least at the beginning, no. they were just, you know, guys who were, you know, Hustlers. who fell into this and um, they, they were, they were traders. That, that's what they were. They weren't, you know, trying to outsmart people. They were just trading. Yeah. And then sort of, you sort of see this move towards quants and John Merriweather brings in a bunch of, um, like university academics and stuff like that. And it's a different way of trading and looking at the market. Mm. But yeah, well, let's go nice. uh, Let's go tell Goldman that we can define those five terms and see if they'll offer us a job. Get us on board. I'll even yeah. define a sixth term. Oh, wow. Will you? Which one? <laughs> I don't know. Investing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ren. So let's wrap it up there. We now obviously are moving into November and we've got another book. What are we reading this month and where can we and where can our listeners get it? So this month we are reading one of the investing classics. Uh, it is the little book that still beats the market. Uh, it's just an updated version of Joel Greenblatt's classic, The Little Book That Beats the Market. If you haven't heard of Joel Greenblatt, his fund, Gotham Capital, returned a uh, an average of 40% over 20 years, 40% annually over 20 years, which Ridiculous. is just absurd. Like Buffett is mid twenties, obviously over a longer period of time, but still 40% over annualized over 20 years is just, uh, it's crazy. Phenomenal, so, phenomenal, yeah. so jump, this is the time to join the book club because this is going to be a good read. It's, it's got a great reputation. A couple of our uh, interviews have recommended it. So, Jump on our website. You can um, you can see our well, you can see our book club page. You can uh, buy the book. You can join the book club, and you can listen to the episode first episode of December, where we'll be discussing uh, Joel Greenblatt's book. Yeah, perfect. So I'm looking forward to the read. Ren Lies Poke was a great start. Hopefully, this takes it up another level, and uh, can't wait to discuss it in December. We'll talk then. Yeah. We will talk before Can't then. Wait. Talk books then. <laughs> Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. 
please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Today's episode is brought to you by Vanguard Super. You all know Vanguard's award-winning ETFs, but did you know Vanguard Super is winning awards too? Vanguard Super is backed by 45 years of global investment expertise. Plus, it's low cost, so you keep more of what's yours. The Vanguard Super Lifecycle product has one of the lowest super fees on the market, now more than 30% lower than industry average. So whether you're just starting your career or planning your retirement, Vanguard has you covered. Head to Vanguard.com com.au slash super to explore Vanguard Super. Fee comparison based on super ratings, smart data as at 31 March 2024. Other fees and costs may apply. Vanguard Super Proprietary Limited is the trustee of Vanguard Super. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD available at vanguard.com.au slash super and consider if a product is right for you before making any financial decisions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different. Bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 